Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's November 28th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. It's been over six weeks since Election Day, but finally, Christopher Luxon has been sworn in as Prime Minister. Weeks of negotiations have delivered the first ever three-party coalition government in the MMP era, with National joined by both ACT and NZ First Ministers at the Cabinet table. But now that the negotiations and swearing-in ceremonies are done, these three parties need to get on with governing. So what will their priorities be as a government, and how will those detailed coalition agreements reshape New Zealand? Today, on the front page, News Talk ZB political editor Jason Walls dissects the deals and gives us a preview of the weeks, months and years ahead. Jason, we've had some time to look over the coalition agreements between National Act and NZ First. So what do you make of these deals that took so long to flesh out? Well, yeah, there is an argument that they took quite a while to flesh out. But what Chris Luxon's managed to do here is he's able to get three parties around the table in a coalition, not one in coalition and one in supply and confidence like we've seen before, three in coalition, which means that they don't have to just agree to a set of policies on the here and the now, but they also have to future-proof themselves for the next three years as well. So if something comes up, they need to be uh, they need to ensure that they're all on the same page and on the same level of thinking because you make decisions as a cabinet, not as a political party. Ergo, if something that the ACT Party disagrees with in two and a half years' time, they can't kick up a stink because they don't like it because they're now a member of cabinet. So it's a reasonably complex thing to do. And the fact that Chris Luxon's able to do it in 40 days since the election, and you take three weeks of that out because of the special votes, is quite a remarkable feat. However, I will note that there is a major blemish on this feat, which is the fact that they've had a major part of their coalition document. the National Party's plans to provide tax cuts has been swept up from underneath them, and that is the foreign buyers tax that they were planning on implementing in terms of reversing the foreign buyers ban and slapping those buyers with a tax. That's no longer there anymore. So they're faced with this big hole in revenue in terms of where's the money for the tax cut going to come from. So beyond those tax cuts, what else have they actually agreed to? There's a number of things. I mean, there's quirky little things such as you can now have a rental pet bond. If you have a pet, you can pay extra bonds so you can actually get your fluffy little friend into your house. And then there's other things as well, like the Provincial Growth Fund is back, albeit a slimmer down $1.2 billion one for New Zealand first. And then there is essentially a commitment to look into the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Now, you'll remember that David Seymour wanted to have that as a full referendum. That has been significantly slimmed down so that now the National Party, New Zealand First, will agree to a first reading in the House about a bill looking into the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Then that will go into a select committee process. But beyond that, there's been no commitment from the National Party or New Zealand First to actually vote on that piece of legislation. What David Seymour said is that he's going to essentially have to convince Chris Luxon and Winston Peters to support that piece of legislation if it ever is going to get to a referendum. The bill is a win for David Seymour, despite not getting the treaty referendum he asked for. For the first time, debating democratically what our founding document means in the modern age. But the Waitangi Tribunal has already spent years doing exactly that. In 2014, a landmark report declared Māori never ceded sovereignty. There isn't one thing there that doesn't say to us, we're out to quell your voice. 
the three parties have said that they're going to play nicely with each other. But do you believe them, Jason, particularly when you look at the words exchanged on the campaign trail and the fact that Winston Peters has failed to work with Shipley and the Ardern governments in the past? Well, I will point out that actually Winston Peters made it a full term through with Jacinda Ardern. And I would argue that he is much more at odds with a left-leaning government than a right-leaning government. So if he's done it before, I think there's scope for him to be able to do it again, notwithstanding what happened with Jenny Shipley. But what happened is they've actually signed a coalition document, which also doubles as a bit of a contract, which means if they do decide to jump out of things, they essentially can't do that. I mean, if they do, they'll have significant ramifications and their vote, I think, would probably get punished heavily from that in the polls. And I think Winston knows that. He knows that in the past, when they've been in government in any sort of form of coalition, when they've come back to the polls, they haven't got the support that they'd had in the past. So he'll be keeping that in mind. And also, You know, I think David Seymour and Winston, obviously, they've been at odds in the past, but now they're around the cabinet table. I think they will be able to kiss and make up and get on with it for the rest of New Zealand. Jason, you were at the ministerial swearing in ceremony earlier this week. There are 20 ministers inside a cabinet with a range of experience from the likes of veterans like Winston Peters and Judith Collins to a slew of first and second term MPs, including the prime minister himself. What do you make of the cabinet and the different areas of expertise the new ministers bring to the table? Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of the level of experience, as you say, it is quite diverse. You've got people like Peters and Collins that have been there for years. And then you've got people like, as you said, Luxon, who's just there for the first time. But what it does is it brings a mix of fresh perspective and people that have done it before. And I think that's probably quite important. You can't have somebody going in there all guns blazing, wanting to get things done without somebody sort of reining it in and saying, well, hang on a second, you can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. And that actually makes for good governance. It makes for good lawmaking. So it's a good mix of people. I would say that it's probably weighted more towards the inexperience of people who haven't done it before. But that's not particularly unusual with cabinets. I mean, if you look at Labour's cabinet, apart from maybe Winston Peters, there was only two, maybe three around the cabinet table that had been there before. Thanks for the chance to form a government that's desperately needed in this country at a time when so many issues were at an inflection point. We had to succeed and we have. I, Christopher Mark Luxon, swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King Charles III, his heirs and successors according to law, so help me God. One area where all three parties have agreed on is that New Zealand has voted for change and the need to fix the country. So when you look at this coalition agreement and the portfolios prioritised in Cabinet, what do you think the new government will be focused on? Well, number one, I mean, it's this tax cuts issue that's the National Party campaign so heavily on. I mean, that's the cost of living, which is the main issue that Kiwis had during the election campaign. And it's the mandate in which the National Party got elected for. So they'll be looking to move heaven and earth to make sure that they can do that. We've spoken about the fact that they've missed out on this foreign buyers tax element of the plan. But however, there are other levers in government that you can pull to find that money. Now, I think it's quite interesting that Nicola Willis has got not just the finance portfolio, she's also got the public sector portfolio. She's in charge of all the government ministries in terms of the logistics behind that. And she's also the person with the purse strings. So it's going to make it a lot easier to get these cuts in the public sector if the person who is holding the purse strings from finance is the same person that's looking to make the cuts. So this mandate they have to cut the public sector, I'll probably see that happening quite quickly as well. Albeit there is some criticism that they're going to have a focus on taking away frontline services and things that Kiwis actually rely upon. But the National Party has been very quick to rubbish that and say, well, no, there's a lot of fat in the system and that's what we're going to be cutting. 
The Front Page is the New Zealand Herald's daily news podcast. And for more political news, analysis and podcasts, head to nzherald.co.nz. Some of the biggest news stories this year have been on extreme weather events and tragedies like the death of baby Roo. But the portfolios of climate change, the environment, children, the prevention of family and sexual violence are going to sit outside cabinet, while firearms and space are going to be in cabinet. So do you think that that suggests some war priorities that are coming in from this new government? It really depends on what you define as warped. I mean, you have to remember that in the last government, both climate change and the prevention of sexual violence were already sitting outside a cabinet with the Green Party ministers. So it's a bit of a status quo when it comes to those. I think space is probably quite an interesting one with Judith Collins, who already has the portfolio for science and technology. So it fits quite well within there. I think probably the Minister for Firearms is a bit of a a niggly one because, you know, it's something that affects so few people in New Zealand. And yet that's something that's in cabinet. But I would, again, sort of warn people against thinking just because something's not in cabinet doesn't mean that things aren't going to be getting done on that. I mean, the thing about the cyclone responses, yes, Labour did create various different ministers in charge of that. But a lot of them had to be essentially removed from that portfolio. You had Mika Feiteri, you had Stuart Nash, you had, I think it was Michael Wood that was one of them at some point as well. And all of those went by the wayside. So I understand where there could be some criticism coming from in that area. But the Labour government, they kind of set the ball rolling on a lot of those things. Speaking of firearms, there has been a lot of debate in recent days about some of the elements prioritised under these agreements. Most notably, criticisms have been levelled at the attempt to reform firearms laws introduced after the Christchurch terror attack, and then also the repeal on the generational ban on smoking. Do you think that there are some elements of these agreements that could harm National in the longer run, say come 2026 when voters are going to the polls again, especially those centre voters, or do you think those tax cuts will be enough to appease people? Well, it really depends on what sort of outcomes these repealings have. I mean, if it comes to something like the firearms legislation, if they're able to do that in a way that is actually common sense and doesn't really penalise what National and ACT are calling the people with guns that are the ones that are using them legally, and law-abiding citizens, then it's really not going to have too much of an impact. I mean, those laws were to prevent mass shootings. And if it's not having any sort of impediment on that, I think we will probably, they won't face too much of an issue. And in terms of the reversals on the smoke-free legislation, I mean, they've argued that what those taxes are going to do is it's actually going to drive people into a unregulated black market. And it's actually going to have worse outcomes on those that are smoking. So If they're able to prove that both of these are good legislation, they might be okay. But then again, if it has the adverse effect, I think it's a very realistic possibility that it comes back to bite them later in their term. We've seen smoking rates come down across multiple generations of government. We expect that to continue. We have strong education campaigns. We think there's issues around a 36-year-old can smoke, but a 35-year-old can't. Winston Peters and David Seymour were reportedly insistent that ciggies remain widely available, while National need people to keep lighting up to help pay for their tax cuts. So for the new government, it's thank you for smoking. Now, this coalition government has made no secret of the fact that it is going to repeal a lot of laws. So beyond the ones that we've just mentioned, you also have three waters, Auckland Light Rail, RMA reforms, fair pay agreements. I mean, is there going to be anything left of the Ardern Hipkins era or is the previous government's legacy just going to be wiped away? Well, this is, I mean, a lot of this is how governments work. I mean, it was the same when Ardern came over. There was a bunch of national things that they really cherished, essentially, that were picked to the side of the curb. 
including Bill English's social investment policy and his approach to the social side of things. But when it comes to this government, I mean, there are things that will be pushed away. The fair pay agreements is one that they've really focused on, and that's what they're going to move forward on. And RMA, I mean, I'm going to be a 97-year-old man, and they're still going to be debating the RMA. So I'm not sure how many people are going to be too convinced by that. But essentially, you know, this is just how government works. Sometimes slowly, sometimes it's quickly. Jason, given it's taken quite a while for this coalition agreement to get sorted, there's only going to be three sitting weeks of parliament before Christmas. So how much can this government really achieve in its first hundred days? And what do you think those priorities will be? Yeah, well, I think Chris Luxon is actually going to demonstrate to New Zealand how much parliament can get done if they put their mind to it. Parliament doesn't have to just sit between the hours of 2 and 10 p.m from Tuesday to Thursday. With Thursday, it actually cuts off at about 6 p.m. You can go into urgency and get things done. We saw the last government basically use the last three weeks and every day was in urgency. So that's one element of this and that's how it could work. And I think that looking forward, we're going to see quite a lot getting done in that first 100 days in terms of the various different initiatives that they've promised. I think just how well those laws are implemented. For example, if they rush the select committee process, which is something that they need to have in place to get feedback on laws, there might be a bit of an issue. But on a lot of these things, such as the repeal of the RMA, all they need to do is repeal it and then get something else in place. And that might take some time, but getting it out of the way won't. With tax cuts not coming until July, how long do you think it'll take before we truly feel that we have a new government? Well, I think pretty quickly. I mean, the rhetoric changes pretty quickly. And I think that the public sector have already made some preemptive moves, for example, around the use of Te Reo Māori and some of their spending initiatives. So I think we might be feeling it pretty soon. But a lot of it, you'll start to feel very cosmetically. I mean, we're going to see Chris Luxon almost every day. We're going to see his ministers. He's going to be the one standing in front of flags. He's going to be the one addressing the nation. So it won't take too long before we realize that there is a new government. But in terms of the effects of their policies, that might take a little bit longer to bet in. Thanks for joining us, Jason. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.